I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today we have another mailbag episode with uh, Kyle Nathan, Draws and Fades. Kyle, welcome What's on. What's up, Andy? Yeah, thanks. Excited to do it again. Yeah, man, I, I, you know, I talked to you yesterday. You said you're, uh, you're, you're grinding on your game for a member guest. <laughs> it is a sad state of affairs. I wish I was grinding for the mid-am this weekend, but... Unfortunately, didn't try to qualify. I've been hurt all year. It's just kind of been a wasted year. But uh, trying to grind for member guest is a new low in my golf career, and I just have to accept that. What uh, what are you what are you doing to get ready? How how do you prepare for a member guest? I think the people um, want to know. Well, you have to go to the ATM um, and get some cash. <laughs> That's usually really good at member guests, and. Uh, that's about it. Unfortunately, since I haven't played very much this summer, my handicap is still in the range where I actually have to try to play decent or I'll let my partner down. And it's actually down in Houston with my buddy John Hunter and uh, at Carlton Woods, which is a very difficult course. So I could shoot in the 80s there in a hurry if I'm not careful. So that's really what my, my preventative defense is about. Um, you know, the people are coming at... Uh, Golfers like you this week, you know, lots of questions regarding amateur status and the mini tour players, former mini tour players playing mid-am events now. So uh, let's get, you know, let's get right into it. I got two of them right off the bat. Thoughts on amateur status rules and former pros competing with lifetime ams in state and USGA events from Andy Roderick. Well, I mean, obviously it's not ideal I, uh, you know, myself, I'm a reinstated AM, and I think I probably had, you know, $10,000 in career earnings. So I don't think, maybe if that, you know, that might, it's not really geared toward me. And I get where a lot of guys come from. Um, you get some bigger names. I know Jess Daly um, played well in the mid-AM a couple years ago. And from what I understand, it's like 35, 40% of the field in the mid-AM is often reinstated. Um former professionals. So the question would be how to uh, combat that. And, you know, I, it's hard to do money. That's it's money's the only logical thing to me that makes sense. But it's hard to do that because, you, you know, pre-Tiger, the purses were fairly low. Um, so, you know, if a guy's playing the, the Nike tour, say, and made, you know, he could have been playing for three years and made 40 grand. Um, which is a lot different than a guy playing six tour events and making 80, you know, so it's just, it's hard to put money into the equation because the purses have gone up so dramatically. Um, what if they did like a cut, a made cuts on nationwide PGA tour? See that, that would be something I, that's a good idea. I I would be all for that. Cause I, I think that, you know, a guy that at 22 goes and plays a mini tours for a couple of years and, you know, then he's working for, 11 years. I mean, that's, that's an amateur really. And I think they should be able to get their status back. But I I agree. If someone makes 18 cuts on the nationwide tour, should they be allowed to get their amateur status back? I mean, maybe I think they, you know, I think they should, but there should be some restriction in some events, whether it's the U S mid am or not, I don't know, but there should be some restriction because otherwise it just gets out of hand. Cause I mean, could Tiger get his amateur status back if he wanted? I mean, technically, yeah, right. I I think so. I that that's the problem is like, you look at the reps. If you, I mean, like Jess Daly's a great example. I mean, he played professional golf on the PGA Tour, the then Nationwide Tour. I mean, it was what ten years, twelve years. Yeah, he played for a long time. Like me sitting in a desk chair for ten years versus him playing 
on web and, and PGA tour events for 10 years, like the reps, the practice, the, you know, I sound like tiger with reps, but like that, <laughs> that stuff, like it's not, we aren't the same. Like Mike, Mike Muir is another good example. Right. I mean, he's, he made over, I think he made over a million dollars on the PGA tour in his career and he put, and he plays mid-am stuff. I mean, it, it just, to me, there's gotta be some sort of dividing line, um, it, you know, it, it's one thing for a 22 year old that goes and tries and, you know, might play a couple seasons on the Canadian tour and make, you know, $20,000 in their career and come back like that. That's one thing. Um, but for guys that, you know, have made, you know, a great deal of money on the, on the PGA tour to the point where like, you know, you're, you're getting your amateur status back, but your job is hardly going to be that of a kid that, you know, works for you know i think one of the toughest things with mid-am golf is like early in your mid-am career is learning like you're a low-level employee you know um right that's the one thing a lot of people take for granted i feel like is a lot of guys you know they they get their status back and we've seen it in illinois with some of the players um and they automatically think they're gonna win every mid-am or am tournament they play and it's not the case because it's hard to balance golf and work it's i mean it's really hard especially when you're starting a career like you said yeah, but when you've made a million dollars on the on the PGA Tour, like you're not starting your career, right? Right. <laughs> you've already you, you're probably doing quite well, and you you know you've you've met people in your career that can obviously put you in a position where you're not you know grinding for for paychecks. But I don't yeah, know. I'm, I like the cuts made. Um, that seems you know of all the options, that seems the best one. Yeah. It's uh you know we gotta get we gotta get you out of out of mid am events that's that's the goal you know <laughs> you get all the all the former pros out you know I'd have it I'd have a, a fighting chance. Here's a mid am question. Um, this is from Mike Wallace. He says, "Okay, you're Fred Ridley. You decide to give Jeff, Jeff Knox an invite to the next five Masters. He obviously plays as an am. He plays from the same tees as the pros. How many cuts does he make? How many times does he win low am?" How many top tens does he contend in all five? Does he win one? So I think, uh, I think Jeff Knox is like the most overblown story in, in, in golf. It's like just overhyped, the, <laughs> but he's really good. He's a really good madame, but is he as good as like, say Stuart Hagestad or Scott Harvey? Like, no, he happens to play Augusta as his home course. So that's a big advantage. I honestly think he would make one cut out of five. I ha- That's exactly what I think, too. One I, cut, maybe two. Um, but, I mean, at the absolute maximum, I'd say he makes two cuts and um, maybe wins low am one time. Yeah. Zero, zero top tens, doesn't contend. Yeah. And, yeah. I think he shoots a lot of, like, 76s. I'm in agreement. It's much easier to play when you can just pick your ball up, uh, you know, once you're out of the hole. Mm-hmm. Very, uh, his, uh, you know, beating, he also always plays with like the guy that just shot like 80 on Saturday. <laughs> right. He's trying to get the hell out of there. Yeah. So like, that's the other thing. It's like, oh, he beat this guy, but like that guy d- didn't really care. He's once like, they don't birdie two and three, it's yeah. get me out of here. I mean, I'm in last place right now. <laughs> so, um, all right, let's see. We got a lot of questions. So, do you have any uh, good putting games that you like to play? And this is from Scott Dudick. He's got this game wad, but I'm not going to explain everything involved in it. We'll explain it if you don't have any good putting games. Um, what I do have is the card game. Have you played the card game? I have not played the card game. It's kind of fun. So, it, you know, if you have a foursome, sometimes it works better if you have a couple foursomes, but. You know, say everybody puts twenty dollars into the pot, and then, and then after the round, you start with five cards, you know, out of a deck. And every time you get a one putt throughout the day, you get an extra card. Every time you three putt, you put, you know, say five dollars in the pot, and you subtract a card. So it's it's a little finicky um, because you know if you're on the fringe and you you know that's a one putt if you just get it up and down whatever, but 
you know, you wind up some guy, you know, it, it's not it's not skill based, really. But, you know, some guys will have nine cards and they'll have, uh, you know, four of a kind. Some guys will have four cards and they have no chance to win. It's just kind of a nice little side thing um, to do. You could end up with like a ton of cards, huh? Oh, yeah, totally. The, uh, and someone else is pumping the pot for you, too. So what do you think about um, fringe and putting? I feel like it should count as putts. It know? should. I, I honestly usually do count it as putts when I think about my round. Me and too. I say, you know, if I three putt from the fringe or get down in three from the fringe, I always, I just, to myself, I'm thinking that's a three putt. Yeah, like if it's up against the collar and you use putter, like I feel like that's a, a pass. It's more of a chip then. But uh, if you're like if you're like a foot on the fringe, like that's a putt. I use my discretion. I mean, sometimes I'll get the chili dips going and I'll putt from nine <laughs> yards off the green. I don't count that as a putt, but um, what uh, do you do? You always pull the pin when you uh, when you've got the uh, when you're on the fringe. Uh, yeah, I usually do. I mean, almost always. I know they say. You know, I, there's no real research, I guess, Pell said, right? But if you're downhill, um, if anything, if you're downhill, leave it in, uphill, take it out. I, I almost always just take it out. My philosophy is, like, I make all my putts with a pin out. So why right. would I keep the pin in and, like, visually and psychologically have a pin in there? Right. Yeah. Um, all right. With the youth movement on the PGA Tour, this is from Andrew Vitt, friend of the Andy pot. Witt. Um, should the President's Cup team reserve two spots for 35-plus-year-olds, mid-pros? The old mid-pro. Um, yeah, it's not a bad idea. We had some other questions about the President's Cup, um, and I know we talked. We didn't we didn't spend too much time watching it. I, I Really, in my whole life, I'm not sure I've spent much time watching it. It just doesn't really appeal to me. It hasn't been competitive. Um, you know, it, I for what you know whatever that reason may be whether the internationals you know they have their little twosomes and threesomes of you know countrymen but other than that they have no greater you know patriotism like we do pulling themselves together and obviously for something like that motivation is important but um you know i i think they could make it a lot more fun by making it co-ed if you had you know six and six or even eight eight tour guys and four women you know i don't watch much um women's golf but i i would be interested in watching that way more than the current state and plus it would be a lot more competitive because i think the international women would have the advantage over the american women um and there's some contrived co-ed events you know like the templeton shootout and all that but to me that would be i would watch that in a heartbeat and and i currently don't watch it so to me it would be appealing yeah, I think they need. I think that originally the idea of like making Ryder Cup point two was a great one, but the execution and like the results thus far have been pretty lackluster. So shake up something, right? Right. Um, All right. Want to get to our first overrated, underrated? Yeah, yeah, we got we got tons of them. Joe Mayberry, overrated, underrated. Opening and closing on a opening or closing around on a par three. So I'm gonna say opening overrated. I hate it. Just, I yeah, it, it hitting like especially if it's a long iron, like so brutal. I, I had a USAM qualifier like last year, and I was playing really good golf, but I I uh, went into it and I had to hit like a three iron to like a small green on the tenth hole, and I was it was just the worst way to start my round. I hit a bad shot and just got all flustered. I was like behind a tree. It's just, so I'm out on, on opening par threes, and I just, like, broke my cardinal rule of, like, using a personal experience in a tournament. To, to, <laughs> but closing par threes, I, I actually kind of like them. I think they're cool, especially if, <clears throat> if, it's got a, if it's got a tough green, like Glen Flora Country Club. That, 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 that green is jacked. That yeah. is a good, that's a good hole. I mean, like, it's hard to make a, it, it, I think it's a good test of golf because, you know, with today's day and age, like it's very rare for people to hit mid and long irons in the game. And uh, I don't mind the closing par three because it's like it's like the final test. Like, hey, you got to hit you got to hit a really good golf shot here with a mid iron. And then you got to be in the right spot to make a, a putt. Like if you make a birdie, you really earn, earn it on, you know, par threes generally. 
What do you think? I don't. I- I don't really prefer either. Opening is difficult. You know, I feel like whenever you're playing in a shotgun event and you see your first hole is a four iron, you're like, oh, God, what a brutal break. And closing, I, I don't know. I think, um, you know, Eastlake, Greenbrier, there's some, some some out there on tour. I think Congressional did the right thing by, by switching um, the finish. You know, 18 is kind of a whatever, par three, and you know, now it's an awesome par four. So I, I'm, I'm out on both. John Hunter, your, uh, your partner, he's got a question for you. What point should I go pro when my fan, my handicap finally gets to a zero or after I win my club championship? I think you wait till after the club championship. Um, you know, once you can consistently beat two and three handicaps, um, under pressure, I think the game is is sharp enough to turn pro. So as soon maybe maybe the Monday after the club championship, you go out that night and have a good time and start your next page as a professional the next Monday. Have a press conference. Yeah, I think, yeah, for sure. At least a periscope. You the Friday will start to televise those. <laughs> All right, Cody, friend of the pod, Cody Sunberg wants to know what is the average tour player's handicap? Do you think plus six, plus seven? I think about. When I play with uh, like Vince India, who's on the web, or like TK Kelly, or mm-hmm. Zach Blair, like the times I've played with them, and I I need like five shots to mm-hmm. make it competitive, and a lot of times I still lose. Like, so I would say, like I play around like plus one, plus two when I'm playing good golf, and uh, I would say at least plus seven. What do you think? Like a br- yeah, I like that. I mean, I think that's pretty pretty spot on. Six to eight plus six to eight. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember? I'm sure you know someone. You guys can Google this, but there was someone wrote an article. <clears throat> excuse me on Tiger Woods's 2001 season. If you just you know the the rounds he played, basically he equated to like a um, plus eleven. I think it was or something <laughs> that year. It was just insane golf. That's so, that's the other tough thing is like. You know, how do you measure, like, because we have, like, the, I, I, the slope and rating stuff is so crazy, because, like, you can't, it doesn't measure wind, it doesn't measure conditions, like, like I think about, it, like, tournaments all the time, like, what's a PGA Tour set up, or, like, a U.S. Open, shooting 63 in the U.S. Open? Right. Like, I mean, is that, is that, like, what's the slope and rating of that event? You know, is that like a plus 20 differential? Right. I uh, <clears throat> I agree. I, I, the weather has, I mean, there's some, I, I hate, I don't really like the handicap system. I don't know if anyone has a good logical fix for it, but, you know, there's so many things. You play in a 35 mile an hour wind on a course that's rated 72 and you shoot 74. I mean, that's not that bad of a round, but the, not good. You know, the course, one of the courses I played this weekend, uh, Ballyneal, I loved it, doesn't even mm-hmm. have slope and rating can't enter a score from there in the handicap really yeah i don't know that i've ever heard of that it's well they don't have t boxes they don't have t markers they have t boxes no t markers you just pick where you want to play every hole that sounds like a fantasy land for you ah spectacular wits for days well the it's like when we played uh this winter like it was windy and with a couple holes like you know a couple holes we wanted to play par fives up so they were so they're right. gettable. Like, play them up. Doesn't matter. Right. Like, why? Why do we gotta be constricted by by entering a score? I like that approach. My dad to this day like has never kept score. He's played probably, I don't know, six thousand rounds, maybe a thousand rounds, and he just doesn't keep score. He's like, oh, why would I? You know, why would I want to torture myself? That's just... amazing. I I care less and less about score. It's it's been so much more enjoyable. I think score is overrated. Score overrated. I'm with you. <laughs> here's here's one. Benjamin McIntyre, lunch at the turn. Overrated, underrated. I'm uh I'm split on this. It depends on your on your time. Um, sometimes I'm cool with literally stopping and letting like four groups go through and having like a nice luxurious lunch and a couple beers and you know having a good time, maybe watching some TV and literally like an hour long lunch. And I'm. I love that sometimes, but sometimes you just want to get out of there. And, um, so I, I think it's solely dependent on the time you have. 
What do you think? So I think it's all based on the time of tee-off. So, like, if you tee off at 10 o'clock on a day, like, let's let's be real. You're not going to really do anything that day. You know, your day's gone. Because, you know, you tee off at 10. If you play a fast round, you're done at, you know, if, if assuming the course is busy, you're going to be done at, like, 2 or 2.30. So you're, right. by the time you get home, it's, like, 4. I mean, the day's over. So on a 10 o'clock tee-off time, like, yeah, just chill, have lunch. You know, you just are getting home at dinner time. Right. Just just pushing back when you get home. I'm going to say right. underrated. Underrated. Um, <clears throat> next one, overrated, underrated, general thoughts on driving range versus just playing for practice and improvement. I have I've practiced like once this whole year, so I'm gonna go with the driving range is overrated. I just go out and hit shots. Yeah, I think you know where I stand. It's overrated as well. I think that at least from my own from my own personal experiences, <clears throat> I've played the best golf when I'm barely hitting balls on the range and just playing as much as I humanly can. Because I think that you know that helps you get sharp under pressure, and you know you get so many different shots you'd never hit on the range. I'm a big fan of playing to improve. Yeah, you know, I, one of my pet peeves is seeing, like, 20 handicaps just beating balls on the range. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, your swing is not, like, good, so you're just ingraining bad habits. Duvall, I think it's Duvall. Yeah, it, Duvall used to say um, <clears throat> he never hit a lot of balls because when he was hitting the ball well, he knew he was swinging it well. He didn't need to keep hitting balls. His swing was grooved. If he was hitting it bad, he didn't want to keep you know grinding the bad swing over and over again so he just said he didn't hit very many balls i think there's a lot of guys like that i know rich beam said he basically hit wedges and drivers and that was about it on the range yeah this i think practicing your wedges is underrated and and uh hitting balls in general is way overrated i agree completely with duvall um i think using like going out and playing with like seven clubs is is way underrated too because like i agree <clears throat> all of a sudden you have to hit like seven iron punch shots from 140 and like you hit those shots and then the next round you play you get into the trees and you have you see you've seen this low shot you know right so then you go out and you can hit that shot so i would say that's a better way to practice than going to the range yeah, I think Sam Snead had a quote. I think he said if he do it, had to do it all over again, he would only hit uh, under 100-yard shots and drivers. And that's all he would ever practice. And you could probably get pretty good, especially in today's day and age, just yeah. doing that. So here's a question I really liked. Um, why, and it's from Andrew Allen, why isn't there more focus on the rookie reshuffle? Showcase that in the fall and spring instead of the FedEx Cup standings. I'll defer this to you because I I, I want to know why too, and I think that you know your newsletter does such a good job of, you know, previewing the younger guys that for some reason nobody talks about. So I think it, I think so much of it has to do with marketing. I mean, like FedEx Cup, FedEx pays for the FedEx Cup, but you know it, it it's just like it's kind of like oh they paid for this so we have to do it versus bringing them an alternative option be like we know this is important but we clearly see that it's it's pretty stupid to do here and why don't we say like this FedEx cup up like this FedEx update of the rookie reshuffle then all of a sudden like you know like right. the, the clear reason why you just get FedEx cup shoved down your throat is because FedEx pays the tour a ginormous sum of money Right. But why don't you just take some of the money they pay for that and say, like, hey, like, we, we have gotten feedback that this is dumb, so we're going to do something different. Like, what do you think about this? Because, like, like, I think rookie reshuffle and the priority ranking is, like, the most under mis- – like, not understood thing for for um, for golf fans. Like, a guy could be playing – he could be in 50th place – but he could be on the 18th hole at a certain event based off of like the reshuffle when it happens and needs a birdie to get into the next three events. Like that that is great drama that's in like at the, you know, like Xander Shoffley is a perfect example. He didn't mm-hmm. have a good status coming in to last year. 
but he finished T5th at Sanderson. And that got him into all the events in the in, in the in early 2017, and it allowed him to play and everything. But like you see it so much is that a rookie that doesn't play well in the fall pretty much has no chance of keeping his card because like the next start he gets is at Sony. If he doesn't play well there, then the next start he's going to get is at Pebble Beach, and he might get a terrible pro am partner. You know, and all of a sudden he's 185th in FedEx Cup points when he's making these starts, and he's like, "Oh shit, I gotta play well." Yeah, to me that's much more appealing to follow than you know the event itself. Basically, I, I think that's in every sport we, you know, obsess over rookies like we are with Trubisky coming up here in Chicago. But you know, there's a focus on rookies where I think the tour kind of lacks that a bit. But um. I think I think one of the things that they got, I think the internet has allowed um, for, like the tour is still stuck behind what the internet is and what it can do. Like you know, like Xander Shoffley has become like an overnight star. Wes Bryan came in with like you know start like people know who these guys are more so right. than they did 15 years ago because of the internet. Like so they're still stuck in like oh we need to hype. Um, Jim Furyk because he sells tickets <laughs> like when you could you could make a name for these guys at a much earlier stage absolutely um, because of the internet but they still think it takes 10 years for somebody to become a big name so you brought up Xander speak we got a couple we got a couple of questions on you know who from this president's cup team won't be in the Ryder Cup next year who you know who will be on the Ryder Cup um, he was the first name that came to mind um, that could make the jump to the Ryder Cup next year. Um, I, you know, not looking at the points, just going from the eye test. But uh, what do you think? Um, so I would say that um, you got Chapel, Hoffman, Kisner um, are kind of three guys. Like I don't think all three of those guys aren't going to be on the team. Um, you know, like. One or, one or two of those guys isn't going to be on the team next year. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yes. Um, I would. I mean, I, I, we could throw Phil in there, too. Phil, I just I don't think Phil. I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Is, is Phil going to be on the team if he has a year like he had this year or next year? I think probably, but, you know, I, I don't, it's by no means a lock. And, you know, then you look at, so like Xander Shoffley, it'll be interesting to see what he does this year. Um, you've got Ali Schneider, Jans had like, I think he had like four or five top tens. Yeah, he was real. he was consistent. So like you look at a guy that's probably going to win this year, I think he's good. Like I always look at guys that, if I'm going to look for somebody that's going to break out, it's like find a guy that was in contention like four or five times. Um, the year before, but didn't win, and they'll probably win the next year. Right. Um, like I did, Adam Hadwin was a perfect example of that last year to this year. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, Ali Schneiderdance, I think, is going to win a tournament this year. Um, so he's one that would be in there. And then you've got all these older guys. Like, you know, Snedeker's been injured, but, like, if he comes back and wins an event or two, like, he's probably going to be in. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you've got... I mean, Jim, Jimmy Walker's down to 47th in the world, which is kind of crazy. Um, but wow, you've got you've got a lot of young guys. Um, Peter Uline, I don't think he'll get up there this year, but I would say that Patrick Cantley's got a good chance of, of getting on that team. Um, and it's really, you know somebody's going to get hot. Tony Finau, right? And, if history's been any indicator, there's going to be one out of left field that you know wins two or three events next year and gets a spot there's yeah i mean there's gonna be there's gonna be i think there's two there's three spots that are interchangeable those three kisner chapel phil and hoffman so there's probably eight guys that are going to be on you i mean like dustin johnson spieth ricky jt brooks kuchar um reed are locks right Mm -hmm. so how many players are that that's one two three four five six seven seven so you get seven yep. locks and there's five spots up for grabs and you could put 
probably 25 guys in those five spots. I wouldn't be surprised if any of them made it. Right. That should be fun to watch. It'll be interesting to see what the Euro team, I think that's almost more interesting, what the Euro team will look like. Because, mm-hmm. like, Westwood's getting old, and uh, you've got Fleetwood. You've got a lot of young guys. Like, everybody bag, bags on the young talent in Europe, but, like, Paul Dunn won a tournament. they got this Italian kid, Renato Peritori, who, who won, and he's 20 years old last year. So, Paul Dunn's a player. He is. He's really good. He, um, that's, uh, I mean, 61 to win is pretty good. Mm-hmm. He's been in contention, too, a couple times, and obviously played well in the Open. You've got Dietrich, too, the other Belgian kid that went to Illinois, who's mm-hmm. young. Um, there's, there's a lot of young talent over there. All right. Let's say um, you just got back from, you know, Sandhills and Bally Neal. How would you split 10 rounds between the two? So uh, I've thought about this a lot, and this is like no, no, nothing on Bally Neal. I think it's like a world-class golf course and a spectacular golf course, but Sandhills is like a whole other level of golf that I, I, I've probably never experienced before playing there. It would be either 8-2 to two or 9-1. to one. Wow. So... Um, I, I really love Bally Neal though. Like, it's really, really great. It's just, it's more of a, a testament to Sandhills than, uh, anything else. Like Sandhills is my, uh, my like kind of nirvana. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's got a lot of width. It's all about angles. Um, tons of strategy, every hole, you know, you can change the pin and the, the hole drastically changes. You change, the, you know, there's a lot of holes like I played 63 holes out there, and there's a lot of holes where I'm still not sure what the right play is, um, you know. And I That's played awesome. it like six different ways, um, dropping balls like in later rounds and, and trying different shots. So it's it's that place is a spectacular place that everybody should, uh, if they get the opportunity, go out there. Awesome. All right. Um, overrated, underrated. Range balls pre recreational round. I think overrated. I don't have a lot of range balls. I, I usually just am scrambling to get to the course on time. What about you? <laughs> I'm going to say underrated. I actually play a ton of rounds without hitting range balls, and I always get pissed off on like the third hole when I'm two over. I'm like, why the hell didn't I hit balls? So I'm going to say underrated. Yeah, I, I don't really care about my score in recreational rounds either, so that's, <laughs> that's part of why I think it's overrated. What do you think on uh, um, overrated, underrated on trees in the fairway uh way overrated i I, trees in the fairway are i mean i know how you feel about trees in general um but trees in the fairway are terrible i there's a golf course uh what's the it's in deer briarwood is it briarwood in deerfield ravinia green um well briarwood both of those ravinia green too but briarwood is like 17 great holes and then you get to the 18th hole and it's a dog leg left with a tree in the middle of the fairway and you're like, wow, this is the worst hole I've ever played. This course sucks, even though the 17 holes were good. Um, it just it's frustrating to uh, it's it's just it's not fair. I mean, it's beyond dumb. Yeah, I you can occasionally pull off a tree in the fairway like that. It's OK every once in a while, but it has to be the right spot. But like where do you got an example? I mean, like, Sweden's Cove has one that I don't mind. It's, like, by the green, and it's, Mm -hmm. like, a short par five. So, like, if you're not going, like, if you're going for the green, it acts like, you know, you're you're probably coming in and the ball's going to roll up there, you know. But if Mm -hmm. you don't, then you have to hit to a certain side of the fairway that's, like, 85 yards wide to set up your angle into the green, you know. It just, Mm -hmm. like, emphasizes, like, there it kind of emphasizes like that okay this fairway is 80 yards wide the worst place i can be is in the middle of the fairway because i have no chance to get around this tree so it it, it pushes people to play to the edges of the fairway where there are bunkers and and you know there's a, a the property lines on the left does that make sense yeah but that but, those, that's okay but like it's 80 yards wide versus like something that's like 25 yards wide and you have a tree in the middle like that's not acceptable Agreed. Um, all right. Um, here, what's your most helpful uh, putting tools 
or drills that you use from Luke Smith? Um, you know, I, I don't have too many dramatic uh, drills. I, I kind of stick the two T's in the ground, um, you know, putt between them. I saw most of the guys do that um, the last time I was at the Masters. And I was like, well, if they're doing it, I might as well do it too. So I, uh, I do that quite a bit. That's probably the only, I guess, drill I do. How about you? I, uh, I carry a yardstick around with me. I have like this, it's, a, it's called the perfect putting aid. If it's not like a real yardstick, but you can just go to Home Depot and get like a metal yardstick. And I just put mm-hmm. down a yardstick. If you can put it, I think like a, a yard without it rolling off either side, you're hitting, you're rolling the ball perfectly. The, it, it is amazing how hard it is to do that, right? Yeah. Like it's amazing. You're like, what the hell? I can't hit a putt a foot, you know, without rolling. It's, it's crazy. It's like when I when I'm putting really well, like if I if, if I use it a lot, I could start putting really well. But I I I've used it like twice this whole year, so that's probably why I haven't putted well all year. But um, like I try and do like ten or twenty in a row, and like the that's, last it's really hard. The last couple, you're like you're like please please just you know, and, and it puts a little pressure on it, um, which is good. And uh, Luke Smith also, do you have any uh, recs for uh, Fort Myers or Naples? Um, you know, not, not really. Um, I'm not sure. What's, uh, is it corkscrew? Yeah. I think, I think think that's public. Um, I don't know. There's not good golf there really. That's public. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure corkscrew is public. I, other than that, um, you know, someone else asked us what's the best way to get on, uh, private courses and, uh, you know, sometimes you can just call and say, you know, you're in from out of town and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it probably works less than 40% of the time, but it can't hurt to try uh, or, or have your pro call at your local golf course. Um, you know, but I, uh, I think Corkscrew's public. A good way if you're, like, you're, if you're authentic, like I've, I know that a letter sometimes works. Mm-hmm. So if you're very authentic and you like, explain why you want to see the golf course like it would help if like you knew some stuff about the golf course that was why you wanted to see it like you know i love architecture like don't make it about your personal quest to play the top 100 courses but you know i love architecture i you know i understand that this course is so and so like i'd love to see it sometimes you that's a good way to get out to some of these places um I don't know, it, it probably won't work all the time and everywhere, but if uh, people people are looking to help you if, you if you do things the right way, and if that happens, like sending a nice thank you note, that kind of stuff, like it, it'll help you. Um, let's see. We got, um, hey, so this is going back to like uh, President's Cup, Ryder Cup. Which player that wasn't on the President's Cup would you be most excited to see in the Ryder Cup? Xander, going back to um, him. I just, I, you know, the way he played in, in big events um, at Aaron Hills and then in Atlanta was uh, was pretty cool to see. I, I'm, I would be very excited to see him play. You're in on X? I am. X going to give it to you. you, you uh, you've, uh, you've pushed all your chips in. This is why we need the stock market. Yeah, I, I, I think in in the previous podcast I mentioned I would buy I would be all in on uh, Xander. Staying uh, staying in Florida, and this is uh, we could go you know ag- without uh, public or private, so we could do private and public here. What are some of your favorite courses in Florida, Hirsch, from Hirsch? Um, I like Loblolly. Um. I like the TPC Stadium course. It's so far north, it doesn't seem like it's in Florida. Um, you know, public, I like World Woods. That's always a fun place to play. Yeah, that's a good I, spot. I think you can play 36 holes for like 100 bucks, and it's really, it's really good. Um, trying to think where else. Jupiter Hills. Um, I haven't played Seminole. 
but obviously that would be at the top of any list. Um, John's Island. Oh yeah, John's Island's amazing. Forgot about that too. And then there's another one there. Um, there's a couple courses in Vero. Uh, Orchid Island is good. There's a lot of good courses. Mm-hmm. I'd say there's a lot of good, really good courses. Not a lot of great courses. Yeah, I'd say uh, Stream Song courses are good. They're they're expensive, but they're really good. Um, Winter Park is super cool. Um, you played Winter Park. Tell I did. That was a lot of fun. It, it's not you know it's not gonna be hard like it is kind of hard though for how it's short it's like 20 what 26 or 2400 yard nine hole course it's just weird it's so it's it's one of a kind you're not used to hitting you know the the greens are big and undulating or not you know not say big but they have big undulations in them and you know the bunkers are well manicured and it looks like you're playing you know a you know major golf course and you know you're hitting it's 260 you're like wow what a weird it's just it's 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 a lot of fun though i love that place i plan on playing there again too yeah that i that's like a it's such a cool spot i played um atlantic beach country club up in jacksonville's cool cool little spot they the same kind of idea is that you know nothing property and they and they had the web finals there last week but they made it wall-to-wall fairway it was cool a place I didn't get to check out was, which I turned uh, Tron and DJ onto, is called uh, Hyde Park, and it's in Jacksonville. It's a originally a Stanley Thompson design that they think is a um, a uh, they say is a Donald Ross, but like it's supposed to be really good. I got I got to see it next time I'm down there. Mountain Lakes, awesome, awesome course. Um, I played this place called Shingle Creek that just got redone by um, Arnold Palmer's guy, Thad Layton. And he did a really good job. Um, basically, just kind of redid all the greens. And, and he had budget to basically do everything inside 100 yards. So you see really cool green complexes, really cool bunkering. Um, I'm not sure on the price. The price kind of fluctuates there. Um, sometimes it's pretty pricey, which kind of turns it off. But, you know, Orlando doesn't have a ton of great options. It's right. it's it's decent, and they they did a really good job with what they had to work with there. Um, I don't think t- Tampa lost that Bellevue Biltmore, the Donald Ross course there. I guess some guy bought it from. I don't know how that happened. They bought it from the municipality, and he's gonna... Thomasia in Tampa is really cool. <clears throat> and then uh, of course I want to go see is uh, Tim Aquana, another one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a. Is it, there's not a old ton memorial. Of good... We left off that list. Yeah, old memorial is a good one too that I haven't seen. Um, Florida, yeah, good, good, not great. Lots of lots of uh, courses though. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. How Which... about this one? Spieth was so wrong on the penalty he was given on Saturday at twelve. He acted like a spoiled little millennial. Does this bother you? That's from Bill who is at DJ D Johnson swag. So I think you just didn't under, I, I, I mean, it's like the perfect example of like the, the rule is the ruling was right, but the situation like the ball wasn't going like picking up the ball in motion. You shouldn't do, but like the, given the circumstance, you know, Right? right. Yeah, it's tricky. No, no, I, I, I've been a lot. I've been critical, as you know, about on Spieth at times um, for carrying on and this and that. But I don't think he was in the wrong um, <clears throat> with his questioning and you know hands in the air. And I probably would have been the same way because you know it, it didn't affect the whole one bit whatsoever. I get that you know it could hit a meteor and bounce back and go in the hole. I guess. Um, I, I get why they called it. It's just one of those things you have to deal with, I guess, sometimes in golf. Just, you know, it is what it is. It's it's a bizarre, it was bizarre. And, you know, I, that's why you saw kind of the exasperated looks of Tiger and Jordan where, you know, they, there's not much you can do. It's just kind of a, it's just up to the rules official and you know you got to play call the rules the way they are and just unfortunate you know what it's kind of like it's kind of like in the nba when guys go for the intentional foul and the guy just like shucks up a shot mm-hmm. 
it's kind of like that. Like, you know, the guy isn't going to make that shot, but if, like, you just can't do it, you know? Right. It's, um, you know, another interesting question we got was from Brendan Porath um, regarding stymies, if they should be allowed back into match play. I mean, this is a great, great question. I kind of, I kind of am in on stymies. I think I'm, when I first read the question, I was like, absolutely not. And then I started thinking about it more and it would just be, you'd have to develop a whole new skill, right? Cause it would be, it wouldn't just be, you wouldn't be playing the same way and just being like, Oh shit, there's a ball in my way, you know, but I, you'd, you'd really, you'd have to really plan, plan your way around and come up with some spinning putts and whatnot. But uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm fine with maybe one one event a year if they really wanted to do it, um, but no more than that. I mean, they you know I'm cool with one event. I, I'd like to see it. Uh, it doesn't even have to be a sanctioned tour event. Maybe one of the silly season events, but um, sure. I think uh, one of the things is like you know, golf, like stroke play that's beaten down your throat is like you're not playing the field, you're playing the golf course. But match play, you aren't playing the golf course. You're just playing the man, you know, the, the, your opponent. So the idea of, you know, hey, I hit this out of bounds, and now I can kind of like, I, I'm not out of it because I could stymie this guy. I guess he'd still be kind of screwed. Can you imagine being like, I don't know, six inches out of someone's line on a putt and just kind of going up there and one-handed tapping your ball right in the middle of his line. Like, what a disrespectful move. It's kind uh, of amazing, though. It would then, add some drama. Now the more I think about it, I'm in. Then you could make the putt, and they, they'd they have to play away from the hole, and maybe instead of having, like, a foot, they have, like, three feet. Like, it would eliminate the ability to just, like, cozy the ball down to the hole. Was, I just picture so. this go- a golfer literally... You know, just going through his pre-shot routine, tapping it like a foot, and then taunting the other guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. Yeah, I think I think stymies are. We might have to get stymies into something. We just test it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think one silly season event. What's your favorite PGA Tour event that's not played in the states? Um, I get. Is the, do you count the British Open? Uh, let's go. Go no on that. I guess there's not that many. Yeah, I don't. I'm, I, I don't know. I'm not really in on any of the Asian events. Yeah, I haven't really watched much of them. I know Malaysia has has a lot of good golf courses. Um, you know, and obviously Shenzhen. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not 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 all in on them either. Remember last year, the the hero when uh, Tiger came back and looked really good. Yeah, he was like almost holding out on par three, spinning the club and everything. He was back. That that's like depressing. I can't believe that was not even a year ago. That's crazy, isn't it? He looked so good that week. It's kind mm-hmm. of that damn flight. It had to be that flight. But I guess you know if if that was the case, it would never have held up. And right through the rigors of the season. Do you use the plumb bob? This was a question from Jeff W. No. I don't understand it. I've never understood it. I, uh, I, yeah, I know, I guess I know how to do it, and I'm not really sure. I guess if I'm really either putting horribly or completely stumped, I've tried it. But, I mean, I'm not going to make a good stroke generally if I'm putting on a plumb bob read because I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, I um, that's that's a great point. It's like if you don't know what's going on, you're not going to hit a good putt. I, that happens to me a lot. That's why I hit a lot of bad putts. Here's one for you. You've been to L.A. recently. Um, favorite public course in L.A. and overrated, underrated off season for golf in L.A. So I uh, I lived in L.A. for a little bit, so mm-hmm. I, I identify with this. I played. A- lot less golf than I play in Chicago. I completely agree with what uh, Sal Hutton said here. He said, since living in L.A., I golf way less than in Canada. I don't know what it is. Like, 
you all of a sudden do more stuff. You're used to the weather being nice, so you kind of play less. Um, favorite public course? Rustic Canyon is really good. It's a course that Jeff Shackelford and, and Gil Hance designed together. It's, it's like it's about an hour away. It's cheap. It's like I think it's like sixty bucks to walk on the weekends. Um, it's walkable, which is rare out there. In the city, I like I have I love Rancho Park. I used to live like like a four blocks from it, so I'd play there all the time. Um, it's slow. It takes forever to play. It's in bad condition, but it's cheap and um, it has like a ton of potential. It's got like you have to hit really good golf shots there because it's got you know good land. Um, it, it used to host the LA Open. It's a really good. I, I if that that's be my one course. I think we had another question about what course you'd want to. Uh, oh, that was in Chicago. That's a good question too. We'll we'll get to that one next. Um, but Rancho Park, I really love too. Um, but I would say Rustic Canyon's the best one in the greater LA area. Um, so I. I'm not a big fan of Oak Meadows. It's just it's in Chicago that just went underwent a uh, renovation. So Kyle, of all the courses in Chicago, public courses, which one would you like to see get a renovation done? And then we can also expand it out to the country. So two answers. Okay, um, Chicago. I'm going to go a little far from Chicago and say um, the General at Eagle Ridge in Galena. Um, I think the topography is pretty cool out there and that golf course is just bad and I, I feel like it shouldn't be. Um, so I, they, they have the land, they have the, uh, you know, rolling hills and all that and water. I mean, they literally have everything you need to build a good golf course, but not the golf course. Um, so that would be my Chicago pick, even though it's probably what, two, two and a half hours outside of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, nationally i'd have let me think about that why don't you go so i would say in chicago there's a course called big run that oh yeah i love big run i like love playing there it's so fun it's fun it's a really fun layout it's it's on like a crazy piece of land for chicago Mm -hmm. and um the course is always in just horrendous condition um but it's so much fun to play there's way too many trees but i don't think you'd need to do that much there to make it really good um and uh so i'd say big run would be my place that i would i'd go in and and take a knife to if i had you know five million bucks um and then or or even Ravislow. i just it, it's done a rev- renovation but i just like chop down a ton of trees i take down every tree and make it really firm and fast and uh i think that place would be crazy fun but then uh, across the country, it'd be between Sleepy Hollow in uh, Cleveland and, uh, and, uh, and uh, geez, my, my, I'm getting old. I can't believe I just, Rancho Park in L.A. can't believe I almost just forgot that. <laughs> so those would be my two. I don't know that I really have one for um, the country. I guess, you know, somewhere in Florida. Somewhere I'm sure. near you. Somewhere what near about, me. What about the course that you live on? Just oh, right, right, right. Just... Heron Bay? Yeah. That would actually be a good one. It's a, the land's flat, but, you know, they used to have the Honda here, and it is a huge golf course. I mean, it's like 7,300 or, you know, it plays long. It might even be 7,400, and it's just in the shittiest of shape. Like, I mean, real bad. And it's a nice community. They just they stopped caring about the golf course. I think they're pre- planning on getting rid of it. But, yeah, you could build – I mean, you already have the, the course. I mean, you could literally build a tour event course out there. I just don't know if they're interested in doing that. But, yeah, there you go, right down the road. <laughs> what um, what do you think – do you think uh, – here's from Neil Smith. Overrated, underrated golf pencils with erasers. Um, underrated because when I'm when I'm keeping track of uh, scotch, I sometimes make mathematical errors, and then you add it up, and you realize it doesn't equal zero, and then you have to go back and 
you know, you're already keeping score and money, so it's you need an eraser in case you make an error. Yeah. Which I'm prone to do. I'm uh I'm pretty absent minded and uh I like forget I like keep score for three holes and then I forget to write down scores for five holes and I need an eraser because then I a lot of times write my score in the wrong spot. I have flip flop scores with other players. Basically, you don't want me keeping score. Yeah, not, Jesus, not, not a good scorekeeper. But <laughs> <laughs> so I need I need a pencil with an eraser. Um, here's a. How about this one? What's the best caddy you've ever? Who's the best? What's the best caddy you've ever had, or who? You know, I've got a my cousin caddies for me a lot. Like in the summer, if I'm like in the state am, and he's a high school baseball coach, and he used to be a he played like pro baseball for a little while. He's a pitcher, and mm-hmm. I think pitchers like get golf because it's it's not. Like, every other sport is reactionary for the most part, and golf's the only place where you have to think about it, and a pitcher has to think about it, too. And uh, so he kind of gets the mental process of it, and he knows, you know, he's, he's a coach, so he knows how to, like, talk to people, talk to you in moments. I think that is the... And he doesn't he doesn't try and tell me what to do. Like, I don't like when caddies read putts for me unless I ask, because, mm-hmm. like... How do you know how hard I'm going to hit the ball? Right. You know, like so much of reading a putt is dictated on how you're going to hit it in a situation. Oh yeah, there's three there's three different reads for every putt, right? Mm-hmm. So I I think like caddies that I think the best caddies are the ones that understand how to communicate with you. What do you think? Um, I agree with what you said. This made me think of my worst caddy experience ever. Um. So I was playing in the Western Junior. I was probably 17 years old, maybe 16. It was at uh, it was at Sea Island. I got randomly assigned a caddy, and you know I meet him on the first tee, the first round, and he seems like an okay guy, you know, cool guy, probably 25, enjoying the uh, enjoying the walk for the first few holes. We get to uh, I forget the hole. It's the dog leg right with the marsh on the left. But uh, anyway, I'm like, hey, can you give me the five wood? And he's like, no, man, don't be a pussy. Hit driver. <laughs> and I was like, I was already like two or three over, and I was already flushed in the face. And I was like, oh, okay, give me the driver. So I hit driver, snap hook it in the marsh, make double on the hole. And I'm like, okay, that sucked. What an asshole. And uh, a few holes later, he's like, oh, so Chicago, huh? And I'm like, yeah, Chicago. He's like, oh, man. One of my best times I've ever had. I was on a bunch of acid at Wrigley Field. It was awesome. I was like, oh, God, I just fucking listened to this guy. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so be careful listening to Caddy's advice is what I would say. I you a, make the final decision. I had a great Caddy in, in the in the Radix Cup this year. He 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 didn't say much. He was, he was quiet, and he just delivered, like, the best moment of uh, maybe my golf of the of the summer was you know I, we were i think we were one down in our match and we we're on this or two down we were two down and we were on the 15th hole and um i you know i busted a drive and i'm i knew i need it was a short par five i knew i needed like a birdie or an eagle uh I, I, probably an eagle you know so i i turned to him and i go all right we need to make a big bird here and he looks back at me and he he was a real quiet kid and he goes not big bird, jumbo bird, like albatross. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I only made a regular bird, but it was good enough to. But it was, I, I mean, like I just burst out laughing. It was like gave you all the looseness you needed. Yeah, you know, it, it's a you know a good caddy doesn't. It's like you got to pick your spots. You can't talk too much. But right. Like when you talk, you know, make make sure it's worthwhile. Don't you know? Don't talk my ear off, but. You know, have some good, have some good uh, clips. You know. All right, here's another question. Um, can you explain again why par is just a number and how that may or may not make a golf hole a bad long par three versus a great short par four? Yeah, this. I mean, the perfect example of this is like Riviera, where the first hole is 500 yards downhill, par five. And the second one is like 
480 par 4 coming back up the hill. It's like, okay, so like one of them's a par 5 and one of them is a par 4. But like in reality, like a lot of t- oh, the second hole a lot of times plays tougher than the first hole. So like it you know, it goes par five, par four, but really, in actuality, it doesn't really. Like, if you get make nine on the two holes, like you, you haven't lost anything on the field, really. You know, eight is a good score, but you think about it longer. Like, on certain days and conditions, like, you know, a par five could be playing like a par four, or like a perfect example is like Sand Hills, where I played this this week. Like, there's this great short par five on the back nine. It's like the fourteenth hole. And earlier, with the wind we played, it was hard off the left. So it played short. I hit, like, nine iron and wedge into it the, the couple times I played it. But then on the front nine, there's a 485-yard par four, the fourth hole, that played dead into the wind to, like, a tiny green. And I was hitting three iron and four wood into it. Like, that, you know, like, par doesn't matter. Like, if right. you make a four on both of them, like, you've done well. But, like, if you make a, a five on the par four, it's not really a bogey. Everybody's going to be bogeying that hole. Does that make sense? To me, it does. Yeah, I, I completely I follow and agree. I think, and also, like, when we look at, like, the U.S. Open, like, this is, I think, where most people were clapping at me when I said par doesn't matter and everybody's like, I don't get it. Like, the game's fundamentally changed with, like, equipment. So, like, why are we holding on? Like, why don't you just make the par 68? Right. Like, don't put associate pars to holes and just say, this is a par 68. You know, like this course, Ballyneal has no has no slope and rating. And they, unfortunately, I was kind of disappointed that they had par. But, like, why not just take par off golf courses? Yeah, it literally means nothing. It's, it means... You don't zero. need it to play in a handicap match. You, I mean, you just need a handicap for that. Or handicap holes, I should say. But, I mean... To, it literally bears nothing on the day. Because you could play great and shoot even par. And you could also play great and shoot four over par. But that day, clearly the par wasn't even par. Right. Like, it wasn't 72, it was 76. Like, that's, like, the thing that I think is the problem with it. It's, like, it's you're you're associating a number that doesn't tell the whole story. Like, that number doesn't apply every day. Um, and it kind of goes to this greenskeeper revenge question we got. What do you think about like hard course days and, and days where you, you know, the greenskeeper gets to put pins in crazy places? I think they're fun. I always enjoy playing in them. Um, it's amazing how hard they actually are. You think like, oh, it shouldn't be that bad, you know, shamble or scramble, whatever format you decide to play. You're like, oh, it won't be that bad. And then you get out there and you're like, holy shit, this is impossibly hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's cool to just just to see how hard a golf course could play if you could put the pin anywhere and, you know, tease back and all that. Yeah, it's I, I kind of like um, I like the big cup days with crazy pins. If you've Have you ever played the big cup at uh, Glen Woody? I haven't. Oh, God, that is the most um, insane thing. I mean... It, Literally, we you can. It's a big cup, which is the size of a sprinkler, and you know we had. I've played with really good teams where we had four guys that were you know plus three, plus four, and you you make doubles on holes. You put it right in the water, right in the bunker, right in the water. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> and it's a scramble too, right? It's a four man scramble, yeah. It's uh. That's... It is crazy. It's it's cool experience if you if you're around there. It's in in October in Chicago at Glen Woody. Go play it just to be like, what the hell? How do we just make triple in a four man scramble? Um, yeah, I, I think the I think just alternative formats. I'm all in on. Um, mm-hmm. I think golf should just you know you should do different shit with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. This is about it uh, for me here. You got any other questions? should do i'm good yeah what uh you gonna watch any of this uh this tournament this week silverado i actually probably will you know i've been to silverado a bunch my my parents are big napa fans as they're big wine fans and uh we used to always go to silverado and i i love the golf course i was shocked a few years ago when it got a tour event because i always thought of it as a uh 
extremely fun golf course. Um, but I didn't really realize it was going to be a tour event golf course. So it's cool. I, I like the golf course a lot. Yeah. I, um, I, I actually, I, I get more excited about these fall events than I do about like the FedEx cup playoffs, which is, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I like, I like the, uh, I like the fresh blood. It's like, um, it's like what we talked about earlier. I like seeing the new guys. I like seeing, you know, it's a fresh slate. Like a lot of guys that struggle, like you get, you survive, you get the new season and it's like, Oh, you feel like new life. And I, I, I'm a big fan of the fall events. And so, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk in uh, a week or two. Thanks for all the questions. Yep. Thank you guys. All right. Bye. Yeah.